As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Eighty-one down, one to go. Harmon Dial. As we get into our final regular season episode of the VanCast, and we're going to continue to go throughout uh, most of the summer. Maybe not in August, but we'll get into the playoffs and all the Canuck issues that are going on in the off season. So you're not going to be done. But in terms of our ability to talk about hockey, this is it. Following a three-two win against the Anaheim Ducks last night, didn't necessarily serve the purposes of Team Tank which we know we're not about at this point, but when you get to these final games, it does kind of matter. We'll get into the math and the ramifications of that later, but first, my friend, we have got to talk about Elias Pettersson, who got to 101 points last night. He becomes the sixth Canuck ever to reach the 100-point mark. You got a great article in The Athletic about him and comparing him to other Swedish players or getting feedback from other Swedish players on who they believe the comparables might be and just how impressive he's been back home. But wow, like Petey just continues. Yeah, it's been an absolutely sensational season for him. And I'm just glad that he got the milestone because there was a point there where, I mean, I, I think we were all fairly confident he would get there, but you just never know with Canuck Lock, right? Especially with JT Miller being stuck on 99 points at the, at the end of last season. So... Um, with Anaheim coming up on the schedule, I liked how Taki just kind of loaded up that top line, put Miller on on that wing, and I guess that also means Phil DiGiuseppe nowadays. So that line was dominant throughout the entire game, and you could see right from the opening shift that level of determination that, okay, this is we got to get this done tonight. And for any Canucks fan sort of watching the games down the stretch, this was really the motivation. Right. Like this was this was the prize everybody was sort of waiting for. These games don't really matter anymore. It's the sort of part of the season where for fans, for uh, even players, 
there isn't a whole lot outside of, let's say, the buzz of NCAA players coming up and them making their debuts. There isn't a whole lot to sort of play for. This was it. This milestone was the sole purpose over these last two, three games. And uh, it just caps off what's been such a consistent, mature season from for Pedersen being able to essentially pick up exactly where he left off after his dominant second half of last season. Yeah, look, it's been impressive from start to finish this year. And while the Canucks have gone through various ups and downs from Boost Boudreaux at the start of the year um, to Rick Tockett now, you know, where the penalty kill was, where it is now, his impact in that as far as shorthanded goals, his two-way impact, the maturity of his game, it's been phenomenal to see. And this isn't going anywhere, right? And I say that because of what he went through a year ago. And, you know, we, we talk about the wrist injury, and the criticism surrounding Pedersen coming out of that, right? And how, you know, the previous year there was, you know, how slow things were coming out of the contract, right? And then you had the wrist injury. And, um, you know, I've always maintained that it was it was his approach. Everybody wanted to give him an excuse because of the injury. But there were other things we were seeing in his game that were flawed, not related to the wrist. And other conversation about where his focus and attention really was. And when it all ended, he didn't give himself an out. And because of the lesson learned in that moment, I believe this isn't going to go anywhere. Barring injury, regardless of where he winds up playing, and that's got to be part of the discussion here today, um, this player is going to continue to ascend. Arguably the best Swedish uh, player or best Swedish forward in the NHL right now. And... He's just going to get better and better because of how he thinks the game, the confidence level he's playing at, the added strength that he's got, his ability to adapt, right? You look at on the power play, how he was just a shooter at one point in his career, and now he can do so much more. You know, that that adaptability to his game um, is is remarkable, you know, and, and just uh, th- there's an unpredictability to it. And, and I just think that no matter what happens – as far as his future with the Canucks is concerned, regardless of who he winds up playing with, he's going to constantly be able to produce. Absolutely. It was also funny because keying in on him and watching the specific traits of what <clears throat> of what makes Pedersen unique. And, and it was fascinating that um, when I sort of did this piece talking to Swedish players around the league, getting their take on, on Pedersen, Joel Eriksson Ek brought up uh, that, hey, he looks like Pavel Datsuk out there, right? So that's a, you know, a big part of the stylistic comparison where when you look at Pedersen, he's not Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon who's going to blow by defenders with the speed, right? He's not Jason Robertson who's going to use his big bulky frame to, to drive the net and dominate necessarily on the inside that way. It's how smooth he is. It's how shifty he is. It's the elite hockey sense. It was also interesting when I was watching Pedersen, there you know there are there are so many elements of his game that stand out, but one in particular is the tremendous poise that he has making plays in high traffic. What you'll notice about most NHL players at that is that they have a difficult time making really high end plays when there's pressure, when there are a lot of sticks around them, when when there isn't a lot of a lot of space to operate. Right? You think about. For example, a player like Jack Stadnika, such a top prospect coming up in the Bruins' system, why he didn't take the next step and why a lot of players don't take take the next step is at the NHL level, against that level of competition of defenders, 
against that level of pace of defenders, they can't make those elite level plays in traffic. They can only do it on the perimeter. With Pedersen, because of the level of poise that he has with the puck, because of his elite handling ability, and because of how deceptive he is in terms of using shot fakes to create open lanes, um, a, a lot a lot of times he'll he is so advanced where he'll intentionally invite pressure so that he sucks in defenders draws more of it and then he'll he'll use some sort of deceptive play to get a defender to overcommit and then take that space on on the inside it, it's like it's like the opposite and and you know Naslin sort of brought up that hey that's 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 how guys like Yager and uh Peter Forsberg and the Sedins sort of um sort of operated another player that I actually re- reminded me of because I watched a lot of his tape in junior recently was, was almost similar to Conor Bedard's skill set in terms of that elite hockey IQ, the poise with the puck, the ability to make plays in, in high traffic. Um, the fact that even, even with Bedard, it's like, he's not same thing as Pedersen. He's not McDavid. He's not McKinnon in terms of blowing by players with speed. It's the combination of elite brains, hands, poise. And I think that's really what makes Pedersen, um, so special out there because even, even a player like Kaprizov, right? Who is, who is, a, a, you could look at as similar in terms of being a franchise sort of player. So much of Kaprizov's value too is in his skating, not necessarily in terms of the straight line speed, but in terms of the edge work, how elusive he is that way. So that's where Pedersen is just a hockey genius. And it's such a treat to be able to watch him um, on a night in, night out basis. Yeah. And I know for me earlier in his career, when we had the the Gretzky comparison and not the comparison as a player, but just the stylistic hockey brain comparison that just the attempt to see the game differently right the attempt to to play it differently and execute it two steps ahead um i think uh i think is special right and i think that's what's going to allow him to just continue and when you look at the numbers around it when right now Pedersen's 24 when the sedines and marcus naslin did this they were like 29 30 so he's well ahead of that um alexander mcgillney did it around a similar age when he was in Buffalo, but he was 30 when he did it as a Canuck. Uh, Pavel Burry was 21-22 when he did it as a Canuck. Only did it twice in his career. And obviously, in the case of Burry, uh, not only did he leave the Canucks, but then he also had the injury situation uh, later when he when he tore his ACL. And his game was so speed-dependent that most people would tell you he wasn't necessarily the same player after that, right? I mean, he did have some, uh, some successful seasons in Florida, but just what... People didn't necessarily think he was the same guy after he had that one injury. So there's no guarantee of health uh, as it relates to Pedersen. But can you compare where he's at in his evolution today and the context around it to some of those other players, right? Like we knew that Burray was breathtakingly dynamic and fast. And, and you know, and I, I was kind of chuckling that in the, in the McGillney case, um, his best years were contract years or platform years, right? And so now, because of, you know, you you would only be talking about a, an extension, you know, going into your final year in the previous NHL, but now it comes two years early, right? Because this year essentially is Petey's platform year. Yes, they've got next year. And yes, they've still got a year of control of the player after that, but 
he's eligible to sign that big extension this coming off season. So in many ways, this is his platform year. And, you know, with McGillney, that happened repeatedly throughout his career. Whereas with Pedersen, I, I just don't see that coming in. So can you put the, the context around it from both an age perspective to what he's dealing with in his career today compared to some of the previous Canuck greats that hit 100? Yeah, absolutely. I think right off the bat, I'm not the biggest fan of trying to compare num- compare players statistically when they're from different eras, just because I think the league evolves and, and changes so much in so many different ways. I think Pedersen's, in terms of age-wise, what it says, he's smack dab in the middle of the prime of his career, right? Like, it's that simple. I think when you look at, for example, the Sedins and, and Naslin sort of um, ha- having their best seasons in late in their late 20s, uh, around 30, I know that was a big, a, a big thing for a, a large part of, for example, that 2011 core, where a lot of guys hit their prime around that window. But generally speaking, that's more of an outlier uh, as compared to, I think, in today's NHL, at least, you see more players sort of hit their career best marks right around when they're in their right around when they're in their uh, mid 20s. I think with Pedersen. Not, and this is kind of pivoting away from, again, the historical significance of it. But one thing that's also struck me about the year that he's had is for everybody, I think this is a lesson that he can take this as far as he wants to, right? And what I mean by that is some players have that insane level work ethic, but they just don't have the talent. But with Pedersen, he has the gift of not only the baseline talent, but when he's working on his own game, he has this unique gift of being incredible at analyzing himself, right? We, we obviously heard, heard Botch, uh, you know, raving about the story of Pedersen breaking his own shot down into 12 different components without any coach and being able to work on that release and technique and take a shot that at the time of his draft was very average and turn it into one of his best weapons. But you'll even hear stories about for instance, when I was speaking to his to his trainer, I think a year or two ago once, and he was sort of telling a story to illustrate how detail-oriented he is and how gifted he is at being able to sort of analyze himself. Pedersen, little, little things like he'll be sending his trainer videos of, let's say, him doing squats, right? Working out in the weight, weight room. And and sort of looking to get feedback. And the trainer will be like, oh, great. Yeah, like your form was impeccable. Looks great. Keep working at it. And and Petter, and and the trainer laughed, laughed. He was like, Pedersen will be like, but wait, didn't you see my leg wobbling in, on the eighth rep? I need to hone in. I need to hone in on that. That wasn't good enough, right? It's like that level of, you know, obsessiveness, analyzing himself. Like that's really, if he maintains that trait moving forward, Really, he can take this as far as he wants to do, wants to go when you combine it with um, the talent that he has. And really, there's a difference between working hard, which pretty much every professional athlete does once they reach the NHL, and sort of being obsessive over a goal, which Pedersen, again, in his final year in the SHL, when he took that massive step and had that MVP caliber year, won a championship, that was the year where a shot went from you know, average or or maybe just slightly above average to elite. Like that was an obsessive year for him in terms of the amount of workload and the reps that he sort of um put in after uh, after practices. The 
And even when you talk to players that spent time with him on the national team, that's another thing that came up unprompted. Adam Larson, for example, brought up that every practice, every day, he was working on something extra beyond just, hey, this is the practice. These are the things that we're working on uh, as, as a team. So if he can sort of maintain this level moving forward, I mean, that's the key because you could tell there was a difference this year in training camp. There just was in terms of the drive, the discipline, the level of uh, of focus. I think everybody had this feeling watching him in training camp and Whistler, watching him preseason that, okay, this this guy's a man on a mission. Uh, and you and you heard about the stories of how early and, and how obsessively he was working in the summer. I think I think that was a big part of the key of him taking that um uh taking that next step. And I feel like every time he's taken that sort of next step in his game, even when you talk about from his rookie year to his sophomore year, the level of consistency we saw, the evolution to where, you know, he avoided the sophomore slump despite how much attention was on him. He evolved his game to where it wasn't so so dependent on creating off the rush. He evolved his game to where when penalty killers took away a shot, he still found ways to 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 produce. And when I, when I talk about a shot, I mean the one-timer specifically, which wasn't as readily, avail- readily available. Even in that season, in training camp that year in Victoria, it was the same thing. He was dominating every everybody in, in every aspect. Uh, so that's, that's I think, another lesson uh, from this is, um, is just that extra, that like next gear of obsessiveness of, of being that uh, being that man on a mission. Well, I can certainly predict that in 10 years, you're going to be writing the Elias Pettersson book. Um, will that book include a heart trophy? So at some point, and we understand that he's in the Connor McDavid era, right? And McDavid with 152 points this year is ridiculous, right? And there's going to be um, more of that with McDavid, right? For him, uh, Health notwithstanding, like points-wise, it's going to be incredible for him for the rest of his career. So will we at some point be mentioning Pedersen's name in that league, though? Because there's that group of guys, uh, McDavid, uh, maybe Posternak, maybe Kucherov, uh, McKinnon, you know, uh, Austin Matthews a year ago was kind of in that discussion. Are we at some point soon going to put Pedersen in that discussion of top five players in the game, top three players in the game, Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah. So for me, McDavid is singular, even in terms of, even relative to those other guys, like the dry settles, Kucherovs, Pasternak, McKinnon's, Matthews, like he's above everybody else. But after that, that second tier of those aforementioned names, why not? Why, why can't Patterson be among that group? And in terms of sort of contending for a Hart Trophy, look, I mean, it's going to be really hard in the Connor McDavid era, but maybe there is an maybe there is a year where, you know, you never want McDavid to get hurt, but you know, maybe something like that happens or um he just maybe there's a level of voter fatigue. Maybe he has an ordinary season by by his own standards and I think if we're talking about Pedersen sort of getting to that heart, you know, heart trophy level conversation, um first of all, I think it would require the team around him being really good, right? Because I think that's an element where I remember at, at you know maybe around the halfway point of the season or maybe two thirds, where Pedersen for a long time was leading the NHL all players in five on five points. He was I think sixth or seventh in league scoring. Right off the bat, you looked at that. You looked at the importance and how individually he was driving everything. The well roundedness of his two way game. 
I was looking at it and going on pure merit, on pure ability, on importance to his team. It's probably one of the top, you know, five or six players in the league right now who should be in the Hart Trophy discussion. But nobody cares because Vancouver was a tire fire. So he wasn't, he wasn't getting that na- national level of attention. So first of all, I think it's going, going to require the team being really good. Um, I think it's going to require something sort of, you know, something happening to McDavid in terms of having having an ordinary season and playing below his uh, usual standards. And then for Pedersen, he may not ever sort of win. He may not win or, or sort of be a contender for the Hart Trophy on the back of Oh, Art Art Ross Trophy being being one number one or number two in league scoring for him. I think it'll it'll have to be, which I think he has the potential to, him taking another step in his two way game to where you look at him and go, oh boy, this is you know a hundred and five point player or whatever it is, hundred ten point player, and he's had an elite two way level impact, killing penalties, the well roundedness. Look how he steals pucks. It would have to be on the merits of his game beyond just his offensive value, which I think he's capable of. Uh, but absolutely, I think he's right there in terms of after McDavid being being among the next handful of, of players who are the absolute best in the NHL right now. And we're not done with the Pedersen topic because we do want to get into his future and whether or not his future is going to be here, that and more when the VanCast continues. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Quick reminder that I was driven here to the VanCast by my good friends at Key West Ford in New Westminster. Check out the new Mach-E. I'm loving that. Harm, how much is Elias Pettersson loving Vancouver? And, and look, we, we can't end the discussion of just what's been the best season a Vancouver Canuck player has put forth in a decade without making that part of the discussion. Now, he is raising his salary by the day. Uh, he is absolutely going to be a $10 million player. How much above $10 million and whether he gets a contract done this offseason remains to be seen. I think the Canucks are very, very motivated to get him extended. They know what it's going to take. I'm not sure they're 100% confident it's going to happen. They're Again, they're going to do everything in their power. I think they've put themselves in a good position by how they finished the year. You know, we've talked about the relevance of that and whether or not that needed to be a priority for the Canucks rather than the best draft pick possible. But you know he's got to feel better about the team, about where they're headed, his place in the group, the group itself. People talk about the captaincy and how important that is to him, whether it is or isn't. Um, You know, I think if you – 
talk to people inside. Like they, I think they're they're kind of optimistic, but it's sort of optimistic with a small O. They know there is risk there. Has has the organization made enough of a case? that this team can win? Because again, this is a team that for the last couple of years has had great finishes and they haven't been able to follow it up. And so if you're Patterson, you probably were naive and you went into it and you were all excited and you had the best of intentions and you're not going to be that guy this year. You're not. You're going to be savvy and have a real understanding of what winning looks like, what great teams look like, what great organizations look like. Where do you see this going this summer? Yeah, it's going to be the biggest storyline for this franchise, and I'm sure we'll get into it a lot uh, deeper in the summer. I think for right now, I am cautiously optimistic that um, that he'll want to resign here, and it's not even necessarily anything to do with the organization itself. I think the biggest factor working in the Canucks' favor beyond sort of the financial factors such as Vancouver being able to offer in eighth year, the guaranteed money which the Canucks can offer um, now, I mean, you're looking at all, you know, somewhere in almost in the $90 million range in terms of a check that he could, um, uh, or at, le- at least a number that he could sign, um, for himself this, um, this summer. I think, of course, those levers work in the Canucks' favor, but really for me, the biggest sort of advantage is he likes Vancouver itself as a city. I think he enjoys living here. It's always been abundantly clear. I think he has. I think he's happy with the friends that he has here. Uh, I think he's he enjoys the the support and the network he has. I just I re- I think he's comfortable here, it, just in that sense of actually living in in a city. And I think the city itself is one of the um, biggest sort of draws or reasons to be optimistic, because of course the organization itself has. In the time that Pedersen has uh, has been a Canuck to this point, has been a bit of a mess. We know that. You combine the allure of being uh, of being able to sort of stay in Vancouver as as a city with, um, you know, again the extra year, the eighth year that another team can really you know offer uh, at this point, along with uh, the organization you'd hope heading towards a more stable direction and. They've clearly made made, um, a push that they want to turn things around sooner rather than later. And and, and I think that's your case for uh, being optimistic uh, for, you know, whether this can get done. I don't necessarily think it's a guarantee, but uh, again, I am cautiously optimistic. Yeah, because, you know, this deal, like I said, is probably going to be pushing, you know, 10 and a half, 11 million dollars a year. And, you know, all of those things are true, right? I mean, I do think there's a genuine... Uh, love for the city and wanting to be here, clearly, which is different than Bo Horvat, right? Because we know after his <laughs> comments on the island that he he didn't like it here and didn't want to be here. Uh, not. Uh, but, um, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I, I just, for, from so many levels, right? Because my question to you is how different would this have been if Jim Benning hadn't screwed this up royally and got him signed to a six-year deal like he did with Quinn Hughes? I mean, financially, it would have been so different, right? Because you probably get that deal done for $7 million a year at that moment, right? Um, and, you know, now you're kind of sitting here uh, waiting on it uh, because you, you you rolled the dice a little bit that you were farther ahead than you thought you were going to be. So that certainly has turned out bad. But on the other side, 
you know, many people believed that they needed to take this approach to finish the season and to retool rather than rebuild because of Petey's contractual status. Would they have approached any of this any differently if he was under contract on a six-year deal like Quinn Hughes's? I don't think they would have because I think, you know, we, we know that the owner's you know, reluctant to, to go into a full rebuild. I think they, you know, they want to see some return on their investment because this is a team that operates close to the cap. And, you know, as critical as you want to be of ownership, you can't be critical of their commitment. They spend, right? And so, so they rightly or wrongly want results. So I don't know that they would have changed their approach in, in how they finished the year or what management was directed to do. But, you know, how different would things have been as you see it if he had signed a six-year deal when they had the opportunity to get that done? Well, we wouldn't be having this discussion, at least in terms of his future, right? I don't, I agree with you. Well, we might have. We've seen players with term term demand out. I guess, sure. I'm I'm with you in the sense that I don't think it would have changed how the organization would have necessarily operated just because they've always placed such an emphasis on the short term as opposed to, um, as opposed to the long term. Obviously, you would have been looking at that contract as an absolute steal, right? It obviously wouldn't have been at his current cap, and it would have had to be a higher number uh, to account for the UFA years you would have been uh, buying. But to have signed that contract at that time, you would have been looking at such a a bargain as opposed to now. I mean, look, any contract Patterson signs is still going to be, he's going to provide surplus value on, but you would have been looking at it an even greater advantage in, if let's say he would have been an eight and a half million dollar cap hit player at that time, as opposed to um, if he you know becomes ten and a half, eleven million, which you know that extra little wiggle room does matter for a Canucks team that's um, that's capped out. It will be interesting if you're Pedersen, right? Or, or at least if I was in his position, I would be sort of I'd be I'd be sort of curious and, and patient about looking at how this offseason plays out as well in terms of the teams is. Um, approach and that's where this summer matters as well in terms of making prudent decisions and showing i think that you're making responsible decisions that um that he he has faith in that he has confidence in and uh i think that'll be an interesting one too because again he's he isn't extension eligible until july 1st so by the time it actually comes down to okay okay we're looking to make a um, we're looking for you to actually sign pen to paper. He'll have an idea of what the Canucks have sort of uh, have done at the draft, what major moves they're sort of looking at, uh, the future of of some key players on on the team. I think it'll be interesting to see what influence that has. Uh, but again, I, I'm cautiously uh, optimistic that uh, that it'll get get done. I don't think it's going to involve a hometown discount, though. No, I, I think he's going to get maximum value. Uh, and, you know, you talk about situations that will clear themselves up. Uh, JT Miller is one of those because they could still trade him right up until July 1st. And I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, we've seen reports from the Sarah Valleys of the world and the Pierre Lebruns of the world uh, suggesting that that's still very much a possibility. Um, so, yeah, there is going to be some clarity for him. Now, one thing that, that really stuck out is just, just how happy everybody was on that team forum. From Brock Besser to instantly getting the puck to you know him playing on a line with JT Miller and the chemistry they have had look and and um i i've certainly uh when this team was at its absolute worst you know i i've, I've used words like toxic uh, to describe that room and i know i'm not alone in that um and certainly winning cures a lot 
And in all of that, both Pedersen and Miller admitted that their relationship needed work, right? That they weren't necessarily the best of friends and that you're not always going to be the best of friends with everybody in the team, but you know, that the relationship is better than it had been. I mean, there was certainly an acknowledgement there that at a point in time, it, it wasn't great. And when you've got two players that are that important in the room that needed to get better, as I said a minute ago, winning cures a lot. So everybody certainly looks like they're happy and warm and fuzzy. And um, what do you make of the room and that impacting how Pedersen feels about his situation here. Yeah, it's obviously been heading in a better direction because like you said, for me, I think winning cures so much of uh, of, you know, whatever of whatever happens even when it when uh, it came down to the Canucks were losing and there were all these sort of rumors flying around uh, about the state of the Canucks locker room and whatnot. For me, I felt that that was uh, trying to think about the best way to put it. It's not that I disagreed with the state of it. I just looked at it and said, well, of course they're losing. Like it's going to be a miserable environment when you put, uh, you know, 20, 23 hyper-competitive athletes in a room and you're mis and you're miserable and you consistently miss the playoffs year in and year out. Like what else are you going to expect? Like that's the people it's going to drive them no, nuts. No, that's that's not that's not that's not entirely fair, right? When there are factions to a room and there's camps in the room, right? Like that certainly losing manifests that and it brings more of that out, but sometimes, you know, it's it's it doesn't necessarily uh you know, build to something. Sometimes those those Losing reveals what might actually be there, right? It's the winning that covers it up, right? Like it, it could play both ways. Yeah, you're right. So, like, I, I, I don't know that it's as simple as saying, "Well, it, it, there really was nothing besides losing." There was stuff, but some of that stuff goes away. Uh, you know, it comes and goes. Winning can mask it, just like losing can bring it, bring it out. Yeah, I'm not saying there was nothing. I'm just saying the vast majority of it, I, I believe, uh, was some was you know not was tied to more the team state. And their lack of success as opposed to anything intrin intrinsically wrong with the character of the group or, or anything, you know, uh, along those lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, I, I think, you know, helpful for them to sort of end the season on a positive note. But again, I, the other thing to keep in mind is I don't think it's necessarily going to sway things in a huge, in a, in, in a huge way because they also ended last season on a much more positive note uh, on a run that lasted a, long, a, a lot longer, on a run that actually had them very close to the playoff bar. Uh, and one that, um, I mean, you know, in the Bruce There It Is era, the, the vibes and, and the positivity was on a whole different level. Like it was even more optimistic, um, you could easily argue than we're at uh, we're at right now, and, and that's not the fault of Talkit or anything. It's just uh, you know the different context of of how things happen. So it's you know you'd you yeah, I think you'd prefer this over than you know continuing to have a miserable environment. But it's you know from Pedersen's perspective or anybody else in the team's perspective, it also isn't going to feel I I don't think real or sustainable at least in terms of the overall vibes around the team and um, the direction that they're headed as an organization until you know that it lasts through the fall sure yeah no it makes sense and if you're Andre Kuzmenko what's your warm, warm and fuzzy meter right now you you got bumped off that line you are 
you fought, you scored a goal, right? Which was which was important in that game. But you could even tell by his celebration, like it's been a bit muted. Like how is he feeling about all of this? And look, he's got a two year extension at the end of all of this. There's no contractual ramifications around Andre Kuzmenko right now. But uh, you know, and and Talkit has shown the ability to go up and down with this player. Uh, where do you think he's at right now? Yeah, it's a really delicate balancing act for Talkit because on the one hand, you don't want to take away the unique elements out of what's made him a 39 goal score. But then on the other hand too, I think one of the team's biggest problems, especially through, you know, before the coaching change was that this is a group that could score a lot of goals, but didn't really put in the work defensively. They weren't reliable from a two-way perspective. They didn't help their defensemen out. This, it was, it was a team that it felt like you would look at and go, all right, there's, there's, and I'm not pointing Kuzmenko out specifically when it comes to this because I actually don't even think that he was, uh, you know, close to being near the top of the list in terms of offenders when it, when it came to this. But there were a lot of guys, a lot of guys that you would look at and go, all right, they're padding their individual stats. The team as a whole is, is piling up the goals, but do they really care defensively? Are they, are, are they playing in a, in a way that, in, in a way that translates to winning hockey? It clearly was not there. You look at Taki coming over, that's exactly sort of what he's trying to instill in terms of the game management side of things, introducing a higher level of defensive care and sort of taking an approach where it's like, it's not just about the offense anymore. If we want to be a winning franchise, we're going to have to put the work in from a defensive standpoint. And when you look at, for example, what Kuz, what got Kuzmenko benched um, in the third period against Calgary, you look at his final shift, and uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, Don Taylor posted uh, a clip of it on um, Twitter. It's a bad shift. <laughs> I mean, it, like straight up, there just wasn't enough. Yeah, no, I saw it. It was terrible. It, right? Like he had two opportunities to clear the puck. Uh, and when you look at next season, when the games actually matter, right? You, you Like that's not going to fly. Um, so you can understand why Talkit wants to set a higher sort of standard and, and accountability for, uh, for the players. Because that's, again, what's going to be needed if this franchise actually wants to turn things around. And, and also for Kuzmenko, this isn't about trying to point out, uh, you know, saying that, oh, he doesn't put the work in defensively or that this is all of a sudden a character flaw on him. It's just it's his first year in the NHL. We knew that the defensive side of the game wasn't a strength of his. So I don't, on the one hand, I don't like, I don't mind talking pushing Kuzmenko and, and wanting to see him grow in that area along with the rest of the team. Also, for next season, I'm going to be interested to see if we, for example, now we've seen Phil DiGiuseppe get plum sort of top six opportunities. And of course, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, injuries and whatnot. But a lot of it, I think, also has to do with, you know, DiGiuseppe is like the anti-Kuzmenko, right? There's like nothing flashy about his game, but all those sort of details and habits that talk it wants to see in terms of getting pucks out in the defensive zone making responsible decisions with with the puck in the neutral zone like those are all um habits that talk it likes the little things if you will that's earned DJ Seppi a lot of rope to, you know now and I don't mind that because the games don't really matter he's played well and, and that line sort of worked well again uh last night um and and it I think it works in sort of sending a message that okay it's not just about the offense, but going into next season, you have to be careful not to go too far in the other extreme, extreme of the direction where you big brain things and go, 
um, and give a player like that too much opportunity while you have, you know, a, 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 one of your most electric dynamic uh, offensive pieces. Uh, if, if you're constantly sort of sending them down the lineup, demoting them, benching them um, at the first sign of a defensive mistake, right? So that's going to be the the balancing act where to this point, I don't mind the way Talkit has handled Kuzmenko at all, but he's going to have to be sort of um, strike that balance in, in managing the carrot and, and the stick um, next season. Well, and, you know, you talked about early on how uh, it meant so much for the Canucks to get Pedersen his 100th point. I think it would mean a lot for this group to get Kuzmenko his 40th goal. Got his 39th last night. And so for me, I hope he's back with Pedersen. I think the message has been sent. Now give him the same opportunity that you did with Petey when you loaded him up with JT Miller. Get Kuzmenko back out there with Petey. Get him back on PP1 and give him an opportunity to get to that 40th goal. As you talk about the balancing act, you've hit him with the stick. you got to give him some candy as well. Lots more to go when the VanCast continues. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So Harm, we talk about Phil Giuseppe and... For me, I think he has gained so much respect of this of the coach. The last two training camps, you know, Di Giuseppe's whether he's been injured or healthy, there there hasn't been a spot guaranteed for him in the lineup. I mean, I certainly think he's he's uh, made the team a couple of years ago. I was surprised then that he didn't get a shot with the big club. I know last year at camp it was a bit more injury driven, but I think next year, as long as they don't trade him this offseason for whatever reason. If he's in camp next year, like he is locked in on this team. Is that fair? Yeah, as long as he maintains this level of form, which which is the key, right? I mean, for f- Yeah, but at the start of the year, you won't know that. I'm just saying no matter what happens in training camp in the preseason, he has earned the respect of this coach and this organization. Um, and, and I think, you know, guys like him and Dakota Joshua, there's no question in my mind where they're going to begin the season. Yeah, I mean, he's a strong front runner. Uh, of course, at the same time with D. Giuseppe, it's not as if he can coast through things and, and have a bad camp in preseason just because depending on what happens, there could still be a lot of competition for uh, spots on the wing, especially for depth roles. Even when you look at guys that are pushing and, and having um, strong years in, in Abbotsford's, when you look at the Niels Hoaglanders, when you look at uh, Linus Carlson, when you look at even s- somebody like Arshdeep uh, Baines, who's taken significant strides in his two-way game, again, I think Di Giuseppe checks so many of the boxes that talk it likes in a player to where I'm with you that I'd be really, really, really surprised if he doesn't make the team out of camp next season. And um, I'd even expect him to be an everyday player. But, um, you know, there's 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 nothing locked for a, a player of Di Giuseppe's sort of pedigree uh, or, or track record, um, you know, this early. He'll still have to at least be competent in camp preseason. 
Yeah, obviously the bottom can't fall out. Yeah. I don't think he's got to set the world on fire. Yeah. He's got to show a level of fitness and he's got to show a level of commitment. It's not like his ability to make a team is going to be based on production. And for for my money, you know, if you had if you had Di Giuseppe and you had Dakota Joshua and you had Nils Zoman as your fourth line, that's a good fourth line on a good team. It's not what the Canucks have generally rolled out. But now if all those guys have to play middle six roles, then certainly things change. Another guy that by the minute, seems to be earning himself more and more of a role in this organization. And you can't say Akito Hiroshi is a lock to make the team next year. But I'm telling you, the way the way he has performed in this small sample size, you talk about found money. This guy is pretty good. Like, he, you know, playing on the left side, he's probably going to even make it more likely that Jack Rathbone's not going to be here next year. Uh, he could wind up being a sweetener on a on a deal to get somebody else out of here, whatever that looks like. Like this player plays with a level of poise. That stretch pass he made to free up Kuzmenko yesterday, the way he sees the game, talk it can't stop talking about his hockey IQ. If this guy puts on some weight, he's got a fast track to the NHL. Absolutely, it's it's also hilarious that um, I I, w- I want to sort of double check this before I um. Uh, but before I before I actually say it, yeah. So it's funny he's actually older than Quinn Hughes, right? And we talk about and we talk about Hughes. Yeah, yeah. We know he's not these guys that are late NCAA picks. We know they've yeah, done no, all their eligibility. That to sort of not, temper the expectations. Yeah. I just I just think it's it's funny that you know you, you sign a guy out of a uh, prospect out of college and it's like oh my god he's older than Quinn Hughes. But that that actually works in his favor in terms of making you know hopefully making an Im- immediate impact uh, next season where we have seen. Even when it came to the se- came to his senior year last year, in in college, where that was a big part of his growth was learning how to use his hockey sense and um, and mobility to defend well at that level, and, and obviously that's translated so far at the NHL level uh, as well. Absolutely, I think he's earned himself into the conversation for competing for an NHL job next season. There's zero doubt that he's lapped. Jack Rathbone in terms of the depth chart there. And Hirose, I think, the way that he's playing right now is the sort of player that the organization was, I think, hoping Rathbone could be because with Hirose, that level of decision-making has been key for his puck moving to translate um, to translate in this, uh, in this NHL environment. Whereas with Rathbone, I think with his hockey sense being average that's where he hasn't been able to handle nhl four checks as effectively when he's gotten an opportunity with um with the big club the only sort of thing to to keep in mind is um you know with hirose ironically enough now that that now that i mentioned rathbone i was also pretty impressed with rathbone i remember down the stretch in the 2021 season right a lot of you know, I don't want to say a lot of the same attributes because there were different players in terms of what tools they relied on. But I'll, I also remember looking at um, Rathbun at the again at the end of that fifty-six game All Canadian Division year and being like, okay, this guy, this guy has legit potential. And I remember there being excitement around him. So the key, I think, for Hirose is going to be sustaining this level of form when the competition escalates, uh, as opposed to sort of you know obviously later in the year where. Uh, things tend to sort of um, get easier. The stakes aren't as high. The the minutes aren't as, as high leverage. But no doubt, he's 
crush uh, Hirose has crushed it so far. He's exceeded my expectations, and I think he's absolutely worked his way into the conversation of competing with somebody like Christian Wolanin for an NHL uh, job for next season. Yeah, and you know Cole McGord's there as well, a bigger body, plays the other side. But you know when you're not going to have two of those young guys in the lineup next year. But again, he's he's put himself in a good spot in these last couple of games. Golden opportunity for him with the number of injuries the Canucks have had in the back end. I think he's acquitted himself well. But Hirose, um, boy, there is a lot to like. And clearly Adam Foote and Rick Tockett like it a lot. And there, there's going to be a real opportunity there for him. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Team Tank. So let's take a look at the NHL schedule as we go into the last couple of games. Now, the Canucks right now are sitting in 23rd. So that's 10th from the bottom. And, you know, that's where we want them to be because that at least keeps them, you know, one more spot and you can't get Bedard. Now, I know it's only a 3.5% chance to get Bedard, but you certainly want them to be in the bottom 10. Um, so and it's I think 11. They're good so, there. so they're good. They're It's confirmed. Yeah. They'll at least have some, some shot at Bedard. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, that it is 11 because you can't drop more than 10 is uh, is what I meant to say. Now, with St. Louis, both teams are tied with 81 points. St. Louis has two games. They go back-to-back today and tomorrow against Dallas. Uh, the Canucks have the game against Arizona on Thursday. And then Detroit plays at Tampa on Thursday. And Detroit right now is a point behind Vancouver or a point ahead in the, in the tank sweepstakes. So do you expect the Canucks to just finish 23rd where they are if Detroit winds up losing in Tampa and everything else kind of goes as expected? Or do you think there's a chance uh, Vancouver could actually gain a spot? Because the difference between where they are and where they could be if they could pass Detroit or drop below Detroit, as it were, they could get to 6%. Yeah, I mean, I'm not banking on getting help from other teams looking at the way that um – uh, especially Washington and Detroit have been absolutely tanking. There was a point in mid-February where February when the Canucks beat Detroit twice on those back-to-back games. Uh, the uh, it's I think they first played away, then then home against them, and I was like, oh, that's it. Like they're you know Detroit's going to finish a- ahead of, of Vancouver. Vancouver Detroit's going to have the lower um, the worst draft pick, and yet they've pulled off this amazing um, sort of tank job here. I'm not banking on getting help from them. It just comes down to what's Vancouver going to do in, in the last uh, in the last game of the season. Honestly, I'll take them right where they are. Like I, you know, I'm not going to get greedy here and sort of <laughs> and sort of hope that uh, and, and hope that Detroit, um, you know, le- leaps uh, leaps um, ahead of them. And it's always so confusing because I'm like, hey, what's ahead and what's below? But uh, well, and what, who's got the tiebreaker if if the Canucks lose and Washington wins? Uh, they'd have the same number of points. The Canucks would have one Canucks more. Canucks have fewer win, regulation so wins. I think is that the first tiebreaker. It's is it wins and regulation wins or because yeah, the Canucks would have one more. Um, Canucks would have one more win, but regulation wins. Uh, Canucks would be at twenty four. Yeah, Washington would have more regulation wins. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, I'm not. So they'd finish. Ahead. I'm not getting yeah. greedy, and 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 I mean, look, I, I'm hoping Detroit and Washington can can pull out a, a victory there, but I'm not banking on it. I'm just hoping that uh, at this point, Vancouver doesn't pass um, St. Louis. St. Louis. That that yeah. that really is what it comes down uh, uh, come, comes down to for me. There you go. Uh, locker cleanout for the Canucks is going to take place. F- uh, Sun, sorry, uh, it's going to be Saturday for the players and Monday for coaches and management. 
So what are the big themes? We, we know the talk, it's going to talk about the summer all the time. Because much like Travis Green's meetings, Travis uh, talking has his summers. So that'll be a big thing about how big summer is for this player, how big summer is for that player. What else are you expecting? What are you most interested to hear when the Canucks meet with the press for the final time on Saturday? Yeah, there's a lot that I'm interested to hear from uh, from management. First of all, if they offer any sort of clarity on Miller's future, uh, if they sort of, you know, ha- ha- like, what do they say, right? I'm, I'm curious in, in how they view, um, you know, view that. And, and if they put all the well, talk they misrepresented that situ- they misrepresented that situation at the deadline. So I, I certainly have no faith in their ability to actually be transparent about sure, it. Sure, right? but, like, they, but gonna- they at least like uh, Alvin entertained and sort of said that they listened, right? So yeah, he, Alvin he said that. they got a call that morning from a team, which we believe is the Carol- Carolina one. But he, w- the way he said it, there was a clear implication that that's the only conversation we've had. When I asked the question specifically, and we were talking about the Pittsburgh discussions in the days leading up to it, and how they were trying to flip a pick or flip a player that they didn't want, and there was no acknowledgement of any of that. He just acknowledged the conversation in the morning, which we believe was with Carolina. So I believe they misrepresented that situation. I'm not going to say they lied, because they didn't lie. They did take a call in the morning, but they didn't misrepresent it. So I fully expect them to do the same and not be, you know, we're not going to get a... You know, well, if someone calls, you know, we'll listen. It, it, it's going to be JT Miller's going to be here next year. Yeah, that's a fair point. I was just curious to sort of see if they come out with a declarative statement that there's no chance he moves, whatever that sort of thing. And if, and again, you don't totally take that at face value, but it would at least mean, I think, something if they're really sort of bold, uh, black and white about, hey, this is our guy. Like, let's put this, put this. To, to rest, he's not going anywhere, sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I'm still curious to see if uh, if we hear anything about that. Another thing that I'm sort of curious to um, to hear about is um, see if there's any sort of update on Tanner Pearson's future, especially because that could have ramifications on um, you know their cap situation next season, right? Because well, in their roster, period, right? Like they they yeah. view him, they value him if he's available. Yeah, and and not only that, but. If there's a situation now, and of course, Rick Dollywell has, has reported that I think he's had six to seven surgeries at this point. You feel so bad for Pearson and everything that, that uh, he's had to go, go through. But there's a difference in like, if you think this is done, like if you think there's if you are fully confident that there's no chance he, he can play next season, then then that means you have his cap space um, in LTIR. Uh, which you can then sort at least sort of use some of that. But if there's any shot that he can come back for next season, then that means you can't spend that money. You can't sort of assume that he's going to be on uh, long-term injured reserve, which of course then changes, you know, how you, uh, you know, how much flexibility you, you think you might um, have. So I'd be curious to um, hear if they have any sort of clarity or um, idea on on his future. Beyond that, of of course. Uh, what do you expect in terms of the rhetoric around the expectations around making the playoffs next season? Like, do you like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. They'll, they will flat out make a declarative statement that their expectation is to be in the playoffs next year. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear what the conversation is around buyouts. Uh, again, I've said before, I, I've been told that, you know, as of now, uh, the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout is not uh, a likelihood. Now, again, things could change between now and then, but as of today, that's not the intent. They hope they can get uh, some sort of 
bounce back from the player to get him to the point where he can be a functional NHL defenseman and not be a, a liability, uh, which he certainly was this year, that they can get him healthy enough for that. So, But I, I do expect Jim Rutherford to say that buyouts are on the table, but I don't know that it's going to be tied to that player. You talk about injuries to Tanner Pearson. I want to hear what's going on with Tucker Pullman and Travis Dermott. Mm. Remember at the trade deadline, they were skating. So I haven't tracked that situation to see if they've continued to be skating or, or whether they pushed or had setbacks or any of that type of deal. But, um, you know, when you talk about cap situations and futures of players and, and where they're at, I think that matters. Uh, I want to hear from Brock Besser. Okay. Because he's finished the season relatively well. And we can talk about how much these games are meaningless or not, but he probably has played his best hockey in the last month, right? Like as far as this season is concerned, there's still been some gaps in that, but I think overall he probably leaves the year feeling good about how he finished and where his game is at today. And he clearly likes his teammates. So, you know, we know that the organization gave his agent an opportunity to seek a trade. I think there was an understanding that a change might fit both sides. And I don't know that that goes away, but you know, I'm curious, right? I mean, he admitted that there was a weight going into this year's trade deadline. This is the first time he actually thought it was real. And then when it ended, he was happy just to have the clarity and have it off him because he didn't hate the guys, right? He wanted to be, you know, he still likes the guys. There's just a pressure that comes with, with being in this market and an overall, just what he's gone through in life, right? Like none of us are sitting here crapping on Brock Besser. Right. Um, so it, will he admit to a desire to still want to move? Will he have had a change of heart? Um, you know, who knows? Right. So I'm curious to get, get his tone or vibe uh, when he gets asked those questions. Um, yeah. So between that and the injuries, uh, you know, and, and the JT Miller stuff, I'm probably less enthused about just because I'm not expecting them to be forthcoming with that. But those are kind of the big themes that I want to hear. Uh, coming out of this, along with uh, talking to Pedersen and just getting a sense of what his priorities will be beyond the money, because I think they'll pay him. Um, I want to see what his priorities are going to be before uh, we get into the summer. Yeah, and management's confidence level in in Pedersen staying, and and you know how you know how, you know does that dictate? You know, does Pedersen's future sort of dictate? You know your approach around team building in any sort of way you know having clarity or not on your your franchise superstar that you know i'd be curious to, to sort of hear about that as well the only reason i brought up for example um uh, you know the confidence level in the playoffs for example is um i don't know if you saw the uh the q a in mcintyre did with um with work talk it but there the idea of the playoffs yeah, season good. yeah it was a very good piece and they're Ian sort of floated the idea of the playoffs next season and talk. It didn't seem to like, he said, yeah, like that's, you know, that's, that's a goal, but there was also a feeling of like, you know, we'll see if that's realistic. Right. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm curious to see, I'm curious about a lot of things. I've said that word, I, you know, a million times in the last 10 minutes, but yeah. Um, intrigued. There you go. A different word. I'm intrigued to see what management says about that as well. Well, I'm intrigued to see how Harmon Dial handles this summer and how Jack T's going to come back next year. Because when we do the promo to start next year's VanCast, you might actually be able to pull me along. Hopefully. It wasn't was easy pulling you. you. It wasn't easy pulling you. you. Came, I couldn't do you it. You came back and I'm like, holy, like this guy's added 10, 15 pounds. Like Harm's jacked. He's not little old Harm that we first got to know that was kind of the warm and fuzzy teddy bear. Yeah, I've uh, I've moved from, um, you know, um, like one 
four one like 50 pounds to 160 so hopefully closer to 170 and um you know bulk up just like uh, Elias Pedersen there you go my son's uh, that's actually his target he's 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 150 he's getting ready for his first season of high school football he wants to get to 160 by next uh uh, by the fall, so we'll we'll see if he can get there. A lot of protein shakes in the house right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you're on those or not. Definitely. But, uh, I, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, if you're looking for other pod options, look, we'll be back uh, again next week. And actually, we are looking at doing a live room. It's probably going to happen tomorrow night with Harm and I. Or sorry, not Harm and I, but Drancer and I. So uh, we will send information out on that. So be on the lookout for that. We do have uh, one more live room coming at least this month, and we may get a second one in with a guest. But uh, be on the lookout for a live room. We had wanted to do it earlier. I think I mentioned this uh, on the last fancast that Drancer had to have a tooth extracted, which is probably the best time to be around Drancer. So we had to cancel it the last time, uh, but we are going to get that in. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so we'll be on the lookout for that tomorrow night. Meanwhile, Hobie Baker winner Adam Fantilli joins our good friends, Jesse Granger, Mike Russo, and Rob Pizzo on this week's edition of The Roundtable. Also, Brian Boyle and uh, Craig Custance, uh Sorry, uh, Brian Boyle is Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly's guest on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And as for us, if you want to get a new subscription to The Athletic, it is just $2 a month for 12 months when you visit the VanCast or when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Meanwhile, Harm and I will be back next week. He'll be heavier. He'll be stronger. He'll have more clarity. Season will be over. He'll be insane. Let's go. Let's go.